G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. I'll be home on a Monday. Well, as you'll know, we don't ordinarily play those songs on Vision. And uh, just a little sample, though, today, as we remember uh, one of the great musicians as uh, we're talking today with George McArdle. Back today, George is a special guest. Uh, he was a part of one of Australia's most successful and highly acclaimed hit-making bands of all time. In fact, he was a member of the only band in any nationality to have scored a top 10 hit in the United States for six consecutive years. Talking today to George McArdle, who joined the Little River Band as a bass player and carved out a niche as one of the greatest musicians ever to be produced in Australia. George is considered part of the classic lineup of LRB, having played on Diamantina Cocktail and Sleeper Catcher, winning Best Album at the Arias in 1978, nominated for a Grammy Award for Lonesome Loser. And during those years, with the Little River Band, George McArdle had a profound spiritual conversion to Christianity and endured the awkward challenges of working through early Christian discipleship in contrast to the life of a prominent rock star. George McArdle, special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. That was a great intro. <laughs> well, in I could listen sense, to that all day. I know. Well, uh, you know, those things, none of that was uh, was a falsehood, was it? I mean, no. I, was I building you up too much there? Oh, well, greatest musicians of all time in Australia. I don't know about that. but uh, Well, you know what? We don't like it when you say that of yourself. But yep. uh, when somebody else says it of you, uh, right. you accept that I as do. humbly as a compliment. Yes. And with the record of the Little River Band and mm. you, uh, you know, just uh, doing the thing that you do on your, on your bass guitar, yes. I mean, that does qualify you as one of the greatest musicians Australia has ever produced. So uh, you just accept that as a, a nice compliment. Yeah, well, I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take us back to those days. I know that listeners will love to hear you uh, thinking and talking about some of those days mm. at the uh, you know the absolute height of the popularity of LRB, and you were there. And uh, there. listeners, listeners can go to their YouTube and they can see you on stage, yeah. classic lineup LRB, being inducted into the Aria Hall of Fame. I mean, uh, at that time, uh, things were going pretty well for you, weren't they? Yes, it was a very, very exciting time of my life. I was asked that question yesterday, and I said it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it, and I did. And uh, 
I uh, left suddenly because I had a an unexpected, amazing encounter with God in my home in Melbourne, and uh, I didn't even know he was real up until that moment. So that kind of caused me to suddenly ask myself, am I going in the direction? Now that I have had this uh, experience with him, am I going in the right direction? And and I've, I've thought it through a number of times. Gee, did I make the right decision there, you know? But it's done and dusted, and I believe I did, even though there were some very difficult challenges ahead. And we might talk about some of those. Uh, let's talk about some of the heady days, and we'll get into your spiritual conversion. But uh, in those days, you were touring the world. Yep. Uh, the rock star lifestyle, was this a sort of a typical part of, you know, day-to-day activity? Or you're on another tour and, uh, you know, I mean, the mind boggles when people think about what the rock star lifestyle is. But, uh, you know, those days, world tours, uh, yeah. lots of money, all yeah. sorts of things. Yes, um Big stadiums. The big stadiums weren't always that enjoyable to play in because of the concrete and the reverbing sound coming back at you. But a lot of big stadiums like that, which was a testimony to our our uh, popularity. And, uh, you know, travelling probably seven months of the year, eight months of the year, and it was hard... It, you know, not having a real stable lifestyle. It was, but we what we did try to do was spend as much money as we needed to to make sure that we enjoyed the journey. So we didn't skimp on uh, travel. We travelled first class, and we we always stayed in the best hotels, and we used limousines whenever possible. It was. You know, it was fun, and and we uh, always had nice food, especially backstage, before and after the gig, and we always had a big uh, plastic tub full of uh, drinks, alcohol, and whatever. Where, where was the biggest adulation for you know the rock stars arriving in town? Was that Aussie audiences or? Were you getting a bigger reception, uh, people treating you like royalty when you went to the US? Well, definitely uh, Australia. I mean, we had a uh, a procession through the streets of Melbourne and we were given the keys to the city. And then we went up to the town hall, to the big balcony there, and we're waving like Charles and Di, you know, to the people. (laughs) <laughs> when those interviews, uh, media interviews happen, no doubt uh, Glenn Shorrock would have been, you know, the first choice. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you would have had your fair share of media interviews too. Uh, it's like, oh, we've got the bass player today, George McArdle. Yeah, we there were six guys in the band and we'd split up into uh, pairs or two groups of three and we, would, we majored a lot on uh, publicity and radio interviews. It was good for us, you know, and promoted our albums. So uh, I was normally with Graham and Beeb. We were the non-smokers, and we would travel in one car and the other three would travel in another car, but we were probably the the conservative ones. But we we would feed off each other, and it was a tag-team sort of thing where someone would say something and you could see them sort of running out of steam and you'd, you'd... uh, butt in and you know, and uh, keep 
keep the ball rolling. In your years, and uh, in the introduction, I said you are named as part of the classic lineup because there were changes through all of those long years in LRB. Was there good camaraderie between you? I mean, if you're going to spend eight months a year touring, uh, you know, oftentimes that's the that's the downfall, isn't it, of yeah. a lot of bands? Uh, yeah. But uh, you were able to obviously get your relationships working in a in sort of a way that actually did work. Yeah. Look. There were always moments of conflict because you've got six people all who passionately believe in what they're doing. And I was talking about this just the other day, um, went out for lunch with some people, and I mentioned a, a book that I'm reading uh, called Critical Conversations When the Stakes Are High. And what it's basically saying is that companies that are willing to have tough conversations will end up being, with their employees, will end up being more successful in the long run. And we had a lot of those moments because, like, there are some jobs you can do where you don't need to talk about it. You just do your job. But there are other jobs, like a doctor will want to know or the patient will want to know that he's going to do a good job and he's going to be accountable for what he does. And... And there was a high level of accountability in in Little River Band and uh, almost a zero tolerance for sloppiness, you know. So on stage, uh, you're on bass, you hit the wrong note. Yeah, that's right. What happens? Well, you'd get a look. And then afterwards, there'd be a little chat, you know, and... uh, that maintained a level of excellence rather than just laughing it off. Laughing it off doesn't always work. I mean, look at it, what happens in a, an operating theatre. You can't laugh. Oh, <laughs> you know, there's some things you can't laugh off. And LRB, I know it's, it's entertainment. It's entertainment. But you can't. People still pay good money to come and see a great show. And they don't want to hear mistakes and people jamming and and ad-libbing their way through the night you know they want to hear what's on the record and they want to hear it done just as good and so there was a high level of excellence and it, it I learned a lot from that well very shortly I'm going to get you to reflect on whether that actually has some effect on what happens when you're playing in your church worship team yeah, sure. because you've been doing this now for many many years mm. uh, playing on your church worship team and uh, some of the you know someone hits a wrong note and this happens regularly no doubt in churches all over the country um you know is a look enough, uh, the expectation, the accountability? I mean, if you're a Christian musician, uh, you probably say you're striving for excellence. Uh, do you Have you come across people over the years where they've had to adjust themselves and actually get a little bit more excellent because they're actually playing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's right. Look, one thing that I don't know whether people realise is that in a band like the Little River Band, even though it was a high standard, you're playing the same songs every night. It never varies. You've got a set. That might, you, you will have meetings and you'll discuss, well, what is the set going to be? But once, one, and there's always going to be the big hits, they're always going to be a part of it, and you might introduce one or two new ones, but the set will not change for the tour. 
And, uh, but in church, the set has to change every Sunday. So there's a different pressure. You don't get to sit back on your laurels and play the same songs all the time. Anybody can get really good at that. But in church, you're playing different songs every week and there has to be that preparation time where uh, what I will do, I will look at the keys, the key signatures for the songs. Okay, that's in D. Well, where's my, where's my grid for D? You know, and I'll just go start running up and down the fingerboard so I'm familiar with D in each position on the bass and I know where the notes are because what I do like to do at, at certain moments is to improvise a little, play some beautiful melodies that enhance the, the worship. And uh, I can't do that if, I'm, if I've forgotten where the notes are. So I need to familiarise myself with those keys. That's probably the most important thing that I do. And, and then you familiarise yourself with the songs. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might have a comment or a question on all sorts of different levels as we talk musicianship, as we talk about the power of influence in Christian worship, as we talk about servanthood and celebrity. Let's talk celebrity. Our special guest is George McArdle, a former bass player with the Little River Band. George, not everybody's had the privilege of being inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame, mm. but you've had that privilege. And, uh, you know, you're a bona fide celebrity in that sense of you've got a history. You've been there and done that. Not everyone's had number one records around the world, but you've done that. Yeah. How have you been challenged by uh, what the world thinks of as celebrity and perhaps a contrast to what God might think of celebrity. Well, it's interesting. Celebrity, being a celebrity, you can say isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, there's some real basket cases that you see on the television, you know, that marriage that's in the on the TV yeah. nearly every night at the moment. <laughs> Who'd want to be those people? Exactly. You know, and uh, there's a lot... Of, uh, around being a celebrity. The people dream of, of, of being, but it's, it's something that has a lot of baggage. And uh, the other thing that I've noticed is that in the world, it's very much celebrated and pursued, but in the church, not so much. And uh, I've, I've struggled with that because... Um, I've encountered many times the opposite, where people think it's their ministry in life to cut you down to size. And that, I found that difficult in church. Like when I went to Bible college, I wasn't there five minutes. I walked into the community hall where all the students were, and these guys, one of these guys yelled out across the room in front of everybody, you look like a clown, mate. You know, And, <laughs> and okay. I uh, immediately began to um, shrink and uh, make sure that I, I was just a part of the furniture. I didn't want to be singled out like that, you know. There's this tall poppy syndrome. Oh, yeah. Uh, which has a real negative to it because uh, we try to cut people down. Uh, don't get too full of yourself. Yeah. Don't get too big a head. Uh, at the same time, we always reflect on building one another up and uh, encouraging people along their journey. So uh, celebrity 
has its challenges, as you say. Uh, in some sense, when we talk about the word role model, uh, we want to promote that, don't we, in our Christian life, uh, whereas we don't necessarily want to think of the musicians on stage or the pastor in the pool, but we don't want to see them as celebrity. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, it's in the, it's a, a problem inside the church as well where you've got these almost rock star celebrity ministries and rock star is probably not a good name word for it but uh people can jump on the bandwagon and celebrate that or sometimes they push back against it and i've experienced both i mean uh christians like even in in the uh, montage you presented at the start we don't normally start with with songs like that that a bit of a flinch there because I've I've had that repeatedly over the years where some will celebrate it and other will, uh, it's a bit like the uh, the two sons in the parable of the prodigal son you've got the guy that went away and partied and he's almost rewarded for it by the father when he comes back and there's a son that stayed there through the heat of the day faithful. And some people have that mentality. Well, why should we be celebrating you anyway? Who are you? You know, you, you're a sort of a greasy rock star. And, and that's been a, a bit of baggage that I've had to just... One thing that has helped me weather that storm is my encounter with the Lord at the very beginning in my house in Melbourne. And it was just... It's made me immovable. And nothing will deviate me from that path, you know. We'll come to that encounter in just a few moments, but uh, I'm inviting listeners to be a part of our conversation. Uh, let's take a call from Ansia uh, in South Australia. Ansia, welcome along. Thank you. Ansia, what are your Hello. thoughts? Um, I, I belong to a very small gathering of people here in Manham. Uh, it's a Pentecostal church, but we are very, very tiny. We have at any given Sunday probably only five people, including the pastors. And so there's three parishioners, including myself. We do occasionally get a few visitors, a few other family members that come in. But the pastor's wife, her name is Leslie, and myself um, are self-taught guitarists and we're very amateur, um, and, I'm, and I'm not putting myself down by saying that because I know what I can and what I have been unable to achieve just through messing around with a guitar for many, many years. Now, neither of us can pluck out a melody, um, and so we are just strummers. And what we we do our we do our best now we we probably haven't reached excellence like somebody who's been in a band for many years playing uh many different songs but as um as it has been mentioned that you do need to play different songs different music each sunday given that we are just a small group we don't play every Sunday. We do have uh, recorded music up on the screen. Um, but when Ansia, we have, when we know we're you're making some really good points here. And, uh, and let's get George McArdle uh, to reflect on what's happening because uh, there'll be a lot of people listening to us saying, hey, I'm not a 
in a big church that has a you know lots of flashing lights and uh, looks like a you know it's a great stage setting. Uh, we've just got a few of us together, and uh, someone's self-taught as a guitarist. We're making a joyful noise to the Lord. We don't always get it right. Uh, George, what are your thoughts for Ansia and for others who? You know, there's part of a small church, and they don't have a you know a, a, a wonderfully trained musician leading them. Yeah, well, you know, I mentioned a book five minutes ago, "Critical Conversations," when the stakes are high, and in in LRB, those conversations could be very brutal. Now, you can't do that in church. I, it's happened, and I've been part of conversations like that. People leave churches yeah. over conversations like that. But um, there has to be a, a level of competency that gives a good um, presentation. And if it's not there, I mean, the fact that you've got five people and two of them are the pastor and his wife tells me that maybe the image needs to be uh, improved so that when people walk in it's not pu- it's not off-putting and the way you can do that is just to lift your level of competency regularly practice if you're putting yourself out there as a musician in church then you've got to be able to play and if you can't then just practice give you I, I practice I've got a little bit of arthritis in my fingers, but I've always practiced for at least half an hour a day. And you'd be surprised at how quickly you improve. Uh, A couple of years ago, my daughter started playing guitar. She's already a nice guitar player. She's quite competent in the chord changes and that. And uh, I've always made a a point of practicing and and, uh, being precise and articulate in what you do. Don't be sloppy. And you'll be surprised how quickly you will improve. And, of course, if you uh, have this thought that uh, we'll pray and believe God is going to send someone in who has got that level of competency as a musician that can help to support our music industry. But, Ansia, wonderful to hear from you. Uh, Thank you so much. God's richest blessing on your small gathering because uh, whether you're in a small gathering or a large gathering... If you're a part of a music team in church, you are a part of the biggest live music presentation and, uh, you know, you're a part of the hothouse of developing musicianship anywhere in Australia, bigger than the nightclub scene, bigger than the the music scene uh, overall. Uh, Mm. There's, uh, you know, up to 15,000 churches all got some sort of way that they're contributing to this wonderful live music presentation. And so, uh, and George... You, you, you took an upgrade from LRB to be able to perform in church. That's right. And uh, church music should be excellent. I uh, Now it's in the Bible, in the Psalms. David says over and over again, play excellently on your instrument, you know. And uh, it's not something that we can say, oh, well, it's for the Lord. I've always wanted to bring my best when I play. George, I want to get into some of the issues around church and worship and those sorts of things, but let me just touch on this conversion experience that you had. At the height of LRB being successful, what did this encounter with God look like back in those years? I, I um, I had no intention of leaving the Little River Band and uh, 
I got baptized in water because my brother and sister took me to their church that they were attending, and I saw the difference in, in their lives. And I went along more out of curiosity, but after about a month of attending, um, someone raised the issue of uh, water baptism. And I thought it was a bit of a public spectacle, so I wasn't keen. But um, eventually I decided, well, if this is going, if I'm going to have what these people have got, I've got to be prepared to do something. And so I got baptized this particular night and I went home quite disappointed because I thought that the, the heavens were going to open. Yeah. I went home disappointed. I went, I said to the Lord, who I didn't really believe was there, but I, sa- I actually said to him, if you're there, and I don't believe that you are, but if you're there, I just want you to know I'm never going back to that place. I meant it, you know. And I went to sleep. I pointed at the ceiling when I uh, made that statement. I went to sleep and I woke up sometime in the middle of the night with my bed shaking like an earthquake. This story has never deviated one word after 45 years. The bed was shaking like an earthquake because the power of God was flowing through me, through the room, and I looked up and the ceiling wasn't there. I was looking into heaven, and I could see gardens and beautiful gardens and flowers and trees. It was quite strange. But I'm looking, into, and the power of God was a big circle flowing through me in the room and through heaven. And uh, he spoke to me there in the middle of the night. And I was so changed by that that I left the band about a month later. Like I said, I went to church that night, and with that, that was the last thing on my mind. I was enjoying my career. I was making a lot of money. I had a brand new Range Rover, and uh, I owned the house. I paid for it in 12 months. Really nice home. And so going through an experience like that, uh, when I mentioned in that introduction, awkward years, uh, awkward times, uh, converting from being a rock star celebrity and then into some of the challenging things that there are dealing with your early discipleship. And as you say, over 45 years, uh, an experience like that stays with you. Those encounter experiences are very important mm. for sustaining the journey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's anchored me. I have never deviated. The thought of uh, not going to church, you know, like this whole COVID thing, people have basically stopped going. That that thought would I would never entertain that thought. I I am committed to this journey because any deviation from that, I just straight away think. But what about that? What about what God did in my life? It's undeniable, and He's called me. It's a bit. It was a bit of a burning bush experience, really. And He spoke to me there, and um, not like He spoke to Moses. But it was uh, it was my burning bush, and it's I'm still uh, cur- not c- curious, but in, um, seeking out the uh, the reason for it. I hope it's just not well. You know, I just you had that because uh, we had to get you out of one camp into another, and if that if that's all there was to it, then that's 
wonderful because I'm being grafted into another brand, another tree, you know. But I hope there's a, a greater calling still on my life. Interesting words, calling, because some would reflect on Moses and his burning bush experience yeah. and yeah. say this was a time where it was affirmed in Moses, his calling to go and confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Mm. And so Moses may not have had the courage to do what he did had he not experienced God at the burning bush. Do you think that there might be some calling aspect when you have these encounters with God? Absolutely. I think God's voice will give you the courage to do something or speak up or say something that you normally uh, would let pass. I think it's a big problem in church where there's a lack of courage, especially in leadership. People uh, turn a blind eye to injustice and wrongdoing within the body of Christ. And we see examples of that in the media and that, where somebody knows but chooses to say nothing. And so injustice uh, grows and increases, in, and people need to speak up. We need to... But one, the original comment was uh, God will give us the courage when necessary. And if he probably wait for the moment where he does, otherwise Christians will be taking pot shots at each other constantly, and that's that's not a good look. If you have an encounter like you had, mm. uh, sometimes we align the way a calling might look mm. according to the gifts that we have. And here you were, uh, the rock star, yeah. uh, and then you then, I think you, you say you went to Bible college, uh, involved then in church life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as soon as someone knows, oh, this is George McArdle, used to be the bass player at the Little River Band, maybe he wants to fit into our worship team. Yeah. So you utilize your gift and your talent to for the glory of God's kingdom. So if you're looking for calling, there is something in there in the way that your gifts are utilized. Yeah, well, I uh, COVID has has uh, had an effect on what I do. But um, prior to COVID, I was probably a couple of churches a month I would visit and I'd take a little sound system. I would stay in the car if the church had a, a great sound system of their own. But I, I will uh, do a couple of instrumentals on my bass and sing a couple of songs that, that I've written myself that have a testimony and then share a bit of a, a word if asked, you know. Uh, George, what about your church experience today? Give us some insights. Uh, which is your church? What sort of a role are you playing? Yeah, I go to a church in uh, Chelmer, Riverside Christian Church. We've been flood affected, so we've moved out. We're in the Graceville Primary School. It's on Oxley Road there on the left-hand side heading south. And uh, just in, Ch- in the Chelmer area, you can't miss it. But we're there for a about another month. It's a fantastic church. Jim and Pavey Cameron are the pastors, and they are such great people, very uh, loving people who love people first, you know. And uh, everybody stays back after the service and has a coffee and a bit of cake or a biscuit. You know, nobody wants to go home. It's just a great vibe. I love it. You know, there's a certain uh, health check you can do on church life, and when you've got people who stay back and uh, they are having true Christian fellowship after yeah. church, a really wonderful thing. And so, what does the church music ministry look like that you're a part of? Well, it's um, 
it's good. And uh, my wife and I have become involved. I, I play the bass, of course. My wife plays keys. and She actually led last Sunday. So um, it's something that and, – and I was part of a conversation on Sunday morning with a guy that goes there and he says it's, it's – it's, it's, he said there's something has happened. It's really – it's gone up a level. And uh, so that's great to hear that people are noticing that, you know. And, and I think I, I will bring some of that with me. I, I don't uh, – I don't strut around saying, hey, listen, don't you know who I am? That sort of garbage. But but I will, in my playing, I will uh, just bring a little bit of uh, something that may not have been there before. Hopefully, you would think I would. When we talk calling from God mm. and utilizing your gifts, somehow or other, if you are exceptionally gifted, you could be quite prideful about that. But there's a certain level of humility that's required and so you find yourself where you are and uh, you're serving on the music team and serving is yeah. the is the operative word there servant-hearted being involved in a music team that's you've, you've sort of got to develop a humility because not everybody in music ministry or is gifted as a musician has that servanthood naturally do they I have a really interesting story about uh, pride and uh with your playing, and I, I'd been playing at a church for a number of years, and I would tend to show off on my bass, and it, it bothered me because I thought that's not being humble, and so I got home from a, uh, a church meeting and I said to my wife, "I'm not playing anymore." I thought this was the only way to deal with it. I would just stop playing. And I went to bed that night. I said, I'm going to write a letter to the music director in the morning. Now, when I make a decision in concrete, that's it. And this was one of those decisions. And uh, that night, the Lord woke me up with the same experience that happened in my house in Melbourne. By this time, we were living up here in Brisbane. But the same thing, his presence just washed over me in waves and he spoke to me audibly, who are you following? I said, you, Lord. And he said it to me a second time. Who are you following? Audibly, who are you following? And I said, you, Lord. And I, the next morning, I, was on, I had to go to work, and I'm on cloud nine. The Lord has spoken to me. And it took days for me to think, well, what did he mean? What was he asking? And he was saying to me, whatever you're thinking, it's not me. It's, I'm not pointing my finger at you and saying you're proud. You know, it was just it was just me wanting to please him. But he said, no, it's fine. It's fine. And I think over the years, he deals with it in his own way. We don't have to shut up shop because of something like that, you know. Is there a sense in which you're accountable, uh, whether it's your senior pastor or if you're on a music team, there's often someone who's in charge of the music team, yeah. <clears throat> to, uh, to rely on their... Uh, oversight because if you are a servant and you are especially gifted and you've got a way of playing that bass or that musical instrument which looks to some as though you're showing off uh, you would leave it for that oversight person to that's right keep you keep you on track sure. so you, so that's why that's why accountability is so good that's why having a pastor is so good yeah and you know uh, there can be a lid on 
on a church, let alone on a person, where everything is dumbed down to a a really mediocre level, whereas some churches there's excellence on display and and that's wonderful. And why can't you play an instrument great? I mean, I I go to churches and and I do show off on my bass. I'll do instrumentals that sound awesome, you know, and I'll do solos and that. It's a matter of being sensitive. I love improvising on my bass and and knowing where those modes are and grids and it's very enjoyable to me you know and it's it gives me a lot of joy and I don't have that was a big issue for me early on when I was a new Christian I, anything that smacked of pride or any sort of indulgence I shied away from but I, I play quite freely now it doesn't it's not something that uh I'm, I'm not putting a lid on myself all the time. So when you're in church, you should be having an expectation that those who are on stage are actually playing to their capacity. Absolutely. So you don't want great musicians on stage dumbing down their performance. <laughs> you want to actually hear the excellence of the musician because that would be the way you would actually glorify God. The humble position there, the humility would be in the fact that I'm on stage in church giving glory to God. This is my humility. Let me just show you yeah. what God has done. Yes. And uh, that, that's a tremendous uh, way of looking at things like that. Just re- reflecting back to a call we talked, a call we took before the news, uh, uh, you know, someone who was in a small church and mm. it wasn't flash and they didn't have a stage and they haven't got bright lights and, uh, you know, there's no major sound system. What are your thoughts here, George, for the sort of standards that we need to have in church? Not everyone's going to be able to uh, to get that going. If you've only got five people in church, mm. uh, it's going to be a bit of a challenge for you. But if you've got a church that has a growth trajectory and you've got some goals in mind and you've got a growing musicianship and the excellence is coming there, what what are your thoughts for, uh, for how church should look if you've got the capacity to make it look good? Well, I think it's critical because people walk in and their first impression is all that matters. And uh, if you've got five people, if if that doesn't bother you, then in five years' time you you might still have five people. But if if things are going to change, then you're going to have to do things differently. And even if I referred to my daughter a little while ago, she practices on her guitar, and it's amazing how quickly she's improved. She can play songs you know and it doesn't take long you get over that initial struggle with your fingers and getting the right finger on the right fret you know and all and that rattles and buzzes and all that that goes fairly quickly and before you know it you're 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 playing songs quite well and then you can bring that to church and it's it's not uh dreary media mediocrity it's 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 starting to have a bit of a spark about it and people notice that Absolutely. People noticing and having a good experience in worship, and you can have a good experience just with someone leading with a guitar. Um, You know, some people might say, uh, well, you know, if you've got a full band on stage, it's not quite as intimate. Uh, Other times it can be intimate depending on the leader. Uh, So getting a good experience, though, that's actually a good part of church because if you don't like being at church, you might not want to be going back there next Sunday. So that's what happens. So the experience is an important part of it. We've got to to face the truth. 
and uh, but face it in a in a, a way that's kind. I mean, um, like I said before, LRB was quite brutal, but uh, because it was such uh, financially, it was so rewarding. You just have to learn to accept that getting your feelings hurt was part of the journey. Now, in church, um, people people uh, cannot handle any form of criticism. And, but it, it's quite easy to pull someone aside and say, hey, you know, can you practice a bit on your guitar? You know, it's not the end of the world for someone to say that to you. you know? Although I'm sure there are there are ways to have those critical conversations. And it doesn't uh, have to be like it was <laughs> back in the day with me. Yeah. You know, there was language used that I won't repeat here. But they were they were very unkind at times, you know. Mm. It was, people would get angry, and you know. But you, you don't have to do that to, to encourage someone to put in a bit of time. I would never go up on stage at church with it unprepared, mm. never. You know. George, uh, hit song after hit song after hit song uh, in your days with the Little River Band. Yeah. Uh, that's some time ago now. What sort of music do you like to work with now? Have you got a studio at home? You're doing some work uh, on some, some creative things of your own? Yes, I've just put uh, three songs on Spotify. It's a new format for me. Normally you would do a CD and... Uh, You'd work out ways to market that. But Spotify, you can get songs up there immediately. I've got, uh, if you go on Spotify and listen, look for George McArdle, Awaken, you'll hear three new songs and uh, that I've written. I believe the Lord gave me those songs. I know that's always warning bells for some people <laughs> because if <laughs> yep. it's lousy, well, it's not me who did it. It's the Lord, you yep, know. Yep. No, they're great. I love those songs and, and they're very well uh, recorded and produced yeah. Well let's have a listen to One of those This one is called Great Awakening yeah. Is there a story behind this? Yeah how long have you got? Uh, not long now Yeah I, uh, <laughs> I had a dream I'm pushing a boat through shallow water And the, a pastor of a church that I know Was uh, at the church I was attending Was pulling the boat And before long we were in water We couldn't stand in And then a banner appeared in the dream With a man's name Roberts Learden, and that woke me up. And I Googled the name, and he wrote a book called God's Generals, and I'm reading about it. And then the next day, I, I approached that guy who was in my dream at church, and I said, do you have a book called God's Generals by Roberts Learden? And he said, yes, I do. How did you know that? And I said, well, the Lord showed me in a dream. you know." So he went upstairs to his office and he got it. And it was a, it's a magnificent book about the great awakening in the new world, which was America. Well, let's have a listen to Great Awakening. This is George McArdle, and we'll come back after this and uh, we'll farewell George then. But uh, here, here's a listen in. This is George McArdle, Great Awakening.
Little River Band bassist, George McArdle, Great Awakening. George has been our guest through this past hour, and George, uh, you have to uh, draw a line under our conversation, but always enjoy a chat and uh, love to get you talking, especially about worship and what it's like to be a servant in God's kingdom on the stage playing glorifying music to God. So uh, just wonderful to have had you in today. Yeah, and it's it's a pleasure to have been here and great talking about serving God because the easiest way to serve him is with your gifts that he's given you. And identify those gifts and yeah. serve him with your whole heart. And work at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George McArdle, uh, let me just point people to Spotify uh, yes. to listen to some of your other songs as well. The one we listened to was The Great Awakening, uh, some other songs that George has produced there, and uh, check those out on Spotify. And, uh, and uh, you know, you can check out George's church too, Riverside Christian Church in Chelmer, if you are visiting Brisbane. George McArdle, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.